previously on Here's What I've Heard. While Tommy Kaler recovered from his own injuries, the bodies of two young parents were delivered back to their mourning families in Pennsylvania. And basically, no one has really told me like how my parents were with us. Nobody talks about Linda. On Tuesday, November 9, 1965, three days after the accident on the Avenal Cutoff, the Lebanon Daily News ran a front-page article about my grandparents' accident. This was the same article I found when I first began my research, and in Episode 1, I shared a portion of it. After relaying the facts that were provided by Jerry's mother, Bertha, the paper ends the article by offering short obituaries for the deceased. About Linda, they stated... Mrs. Klein was the former Linda Jean Seibert, daughter of Mr. and Mrs. Franklin B. Seibert of Lebanon. She attended the Lebanon schools and was a member of First Assembly of God Church, Cleona. This little blurb is just that, a blurb. It is a minuscule portion of who my grandmother was in the 21 short years she spent on Earth. Born on April 26, 1944, Linda Jean Seibert was the second of six children and the only daughter of Franklin and Fern Seibert. The family lived in several small homes throughout Lebanon, Pennsylvania, just a quick 15-minute drive from where Jerry grew up in Anvil. As a child, Linda was a rough-and-tumble kind of girl, and she could often be found with her brothers, Benjamin, John, Rick, Lloyd, and Leroy. Well, she had blonde hair. This is her younger brother by eight years, Lloyd. Uh, she was about... I'm guessing, see, I was only, I was real young, so I just remember she wore glasses and her personality was great. You know, she was, she was like a second mom to me. Um, what kind of things was she into? Besides your grandfather? <laughs> uh, she was a, actually a tomboy, you know, she hung out with the guys because we lived on a dead end street and there was mostly uh, guys there. And she. She did the stuff we did. We played bully up and she jumped box cars with us and rode the trains and, you know, she was a little bit of a tomboy. Yeah. Until she met your grandfather. <laughs> <laughs> Linda's name pops up in the newspaper a few times during her youth, leaving hints as to her interests as a young girl. At 10, she was a Girl Scout, taking a trip to the Philadelphia Zoo and meeting clowns backstage at the circus. While attending Harry Hawk Junior High School, Linda built a transformer for the science fair, put on plays with her classmates, and was a baton twirler for the marching band's Hawkettes troupe. And like Jerry, Linda also liked a good joke. My dad managed to pry a few details out of his family. My grandmother kind of told me what my mother was like a little bit. She just said she was a jokester. But while Linda was busy being a jokester, her brothers were quickly gaining a somewhat infamous reputation around town. Yeah. Every, every, 
nobody knew the Seibert's here in Lebanon. <laughs> yeah. That's my second cousin, Celeste. She's the daughter of Linda's younger brother, John. And she'll explain just why the Seibert's were so famous in Lebanon after these messages. I'm probably okay to have one more drink before I drive home. I'm probably okay. I open the window to stay alert. Probably okay. I just popped some gum in my mouth. Step out of the car, please. I probably made a mistake. Probably okay isn't okay when it comes to drinking and driving. If you see a warning sign, stop and call a cab, a car, or a friend. Buzzed driving is drunk driving. A message brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. Yeah, you can't, you can't, you can never believe a word Fern said or Leroy said. <laughs> Leroy, yeah, they were, they were two peas in a pod then too. Oh boy. <laughs> they, yeah, um, well, Leroy was always in and out of jail, like I said, and, mm-hmm. um, he, uh, and it all started, they, they were getting into trouble when they were kids. In fact, Linda's brothers were often at odds with the law. Articles from the Lebanon Daily News read like a diary of their indiscretions, with their eldest brother, Ben, being the main offender. His troubles started when he was just 12 years old. Despite being a member of the Boy Scouts that same year, he was caught stealing a wallet with $65 inside. Since Ben admitted his crime to the police and returned most of the money, the judge put him on probation pending a psychiatric examination. The Lebanon Daily News reported, In a lengthy conference with the boy and his parents, Mr. and Mrs. Franklin Seibert, the judge discussed family difficulties and was promised the parents of the boy would talk over their problems with a psychiatrist and a counselor. It's not exactly clear which family problems the Seiberts were referring to, but these issues apparently continued. Less than three years later, after being shipped back and forth to a reformatory school several times, Ben was back in court for violating parole. He was accused of stealing jewelry and money, hitting his mother in the stomach, and threatening nearby children, possibly his siblings, with a knife. It's not clear from this article whether or not Benjamin was actually the thief, however. After he was arrested, the neighbor's housekeeper found the missing money in the cuff of her jacket, and the jewelry was later discovered in an ashtray of a wrecked car located near their home. His mother, Fern, admitted that the jewelry might have been placed there by other children who were pretending to be on a treasure hunt. Nonetheless, she testified that her son was a, quote, two-time loser. When called to testify himself, Ben tearfully took the stand and told the judge that he was often taunted by other children, saying, I was trying to behave, but nobody would leave me alone. After his testimony in court, Ben was sent to live with a neighbor. For the rest of his teenage years, he'd be shuffled in and out of reformatory school for larceny and petty theft crimes. He even escaped once, stealing a car and later crashing it. At one point, after a fight with a family member at home, it's not clear who the fight involved, Ben strolled over to a used car lot and went for a joyride to seemingly let off steam. He almost got away with it, too but an employee of the dealership happened to see the car passing and noticed it had no plates. As Ben was returning the car to the same parking spot he found it in, he was approached by police and admitted to the crime on the spot. Thanks to my great-uncle Lloyd, I have lots of pictures of young Ben and Linda. When they were small, their father was in the Army, fighting in World War II. Fern often took pictures of them chasing one another and playing in the yard. 
then sent the photos overseas with captions on the back, written as if they'd been crafted by the children themselves. In one photo, Linda and Ben look chubby-faced and sweet, their blonde hair beaming. Linda is wearing a frilly outfit. Her brother is dressed as a sheriff, a man of the law, badge and all. I tried to contact Ben to get his perspective and hear his memories of Linda and Jerry, but my calls and letters went unanswered. Years ago, however, I spoke to Linda's youngest brother, Leroy. Like Ben, Leroy was a troublemaker. At just 18 months old, he was already being featured in the paper for wandering six blocks away from home. Three years later, a four-year-old Leroy was at it again, getting lost three blocks away from the Cybert house and knocking on the neighbor's door to find his way back. As a teenager and young adult, Leroy's name is peppered throughout the newspaper archives for stints in the same reformatory school as his brother and jail sentences related to burglary, trespassing, and assault. When I spoke to him over eight years ago, Leroy was living in a motel somewhere in Pennsylvania, and he was in between jobs. He told me he was too little at the time of her death to remember much about his sister, but we promised one another that we'd catch up soon. Time got away from me, though, and Leroy's number changed. He has since passed away. But one of them came to my door after the accident, and they didn't realize who I was when they knocked on the door. Jerry's sister, Doris, remembers the Cybert boys well. They were going door to door collecting money for that family that was killed in California. Mm. And I told him, I know that family, and don't go knocking on people's doors. I said, because that was my brother and your sister. And he was just in shock that <laughs> he had gone to the wrong door, you know? Yeah. And I just told him, you know, be on your way, you know? Don't make it harder than it is. Yeah. Because, you know, it was, it was a hard one. Yeah. Another brother, John, you've heard from his daughter Celeste in this and previous episodes, has also passed away. His name is featured less prominently in the paper over the years, although one story stands out. When John was just 17, he was involved in what the paper described as a gang fight at a gas station with his older brother Ben. When the police arrived, Ben mocked them about the number of officers that were on the scene, and an officer Gruber responded that any of the officers there could handle the situation. Ben swung at Gruber, but another officer grabbed hold of him and pushed him into a police car. It was then that John rushed at the officers, shouting, Let him alone! Let him alone! It's because of this show of loyalty between the two that it came as no surprise when I learned that John chose Benjamin to be the best man at his wedding an event that marks the last time I can find John mentioned in the archives of the old paper. Richard also had a few run-ins with the law for burglary and theft, but, like John, he doesn't appear in the paper often. I've reached out to him by phone and snail mail to talk about Linda, but he also hasn't responded. And that leads me back to Lloyd. The family was... quite different. <laughs> Uh, most of them, most of them were into trouble all the time. A lot of them were, you know. Lloyd, Uncle Lloyd is the only one that that was seemed to be have a level head. Mm -hmm. 
And that's what always took me back to my Aunt Linda. I was like, I wonder what she would have been like, you know, because all the other ones were screwed up. Mm-hmm. Um, Uncle Lloyd was, oh, my God, he was our favorite. Mm-hmm. He's so nice. <laughs> yeah. He was, he was our favorite, and he was around. He was around most of the time, except for when he was in the military. But he would come visit, and it would be like, man, we'd be all over him. We just loved him to death. He took his places and did things with us, and he was the normal one. <laughs> mm-hmm. Unlike his brothers and his mother, who also appears in the paper over and over again as a victim of theft, injuries, and even a hit-and-run, Lloyd is only mentioned when earning sports accolades and joining the Marine Corps. Well, with the exception of that time he tried to steal some beers from a neighbor's garage with his brothers. He told me that that was the first and last time he ever got into trouble. It scared him straight. And he explained at a family gathering last summer how the Cyberts ended up in the paper so often, even when they weren't in trouble. Um, When I first started doing all my research and stuff, when I put her name in to see what would come up, I was looking for like birth announcements and right. stuff like that. But her name came up so often, it would be like um, she was treated at the hospital because she hit her head and stuff like that. And I was wondering, so how does that make it in the newspaper? Was she calling and letting them know, or was somebody like, do you know anything about that? Uh, Lebanon Daily News at the time was really a local newspaper. They would go to the police, get police reports. They would go to the hospital and get a whole list of whoever was treated. Mm-hmm. That went in the hospital. It was a small town, no, local no newspaper. Hippo no hippo yeah. back then. That voice is my mom, Martha. You'll hear my dad chime in in a bit, too. No hippo. Uh, if you stubbed your toe and went to the hospital, everybody in Lebanon knew about it. You know, like, And that's just the way it was. You uh-huh. know, it's it's that's how they got it, you know. That's really And funny. my mom funny. was hurt or sick all the time. Yeah. Uh, I thought she was faking most of the time. Hypochondriac <laughs> or whatever you want to call it, but. Yeah. And it know. looks like she had a lot of different jobs, too. She had a lot of different jobs. Yeah. I she saw she was working at the hospital. She worked and... there. She worked at the spaghetti house. What'd she do at the hospital? Clean. She was cleaner. Clean. Yeah, clean. She worked at the spaghetti factory. She worked, oh, God, she worked everywhere. You know? mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I was cracking up because I thought, because, <laughs> you know, now it's like if you want something in the newspaper, you have to contact the newspaper. And so I, I'm thinking if that was the same way back then, I'm just picturing this woman calling Call over up. and over again. Mm-hmm. I just to let you know, <laughs> I bought my head. <laughs> no, <at least laughs> Can you let everybody know I bought my head? I'm okay. But Later. Celeste gave me more insight on Fern's various injuries. And I know my grandmother, I don't know if she was senile or she would always, you know, like fake injuries. I'm not sure if it was to get money or what the heck it was all about. But, you know, she she got money from, from her husband because he was you know, in the military and stuff, so mm-hmm. I just don't understand why she would do some of the things that she did, but, you know, she would fall at Giant or, you know, just different stuff like that out in parking lots and then make a big deal of it. And I share these stories to illustrate that, if it isn't clear by now, Linda grew up in a bit of a chaotic household. Both of my grandparents grew up in small homes that were crammed with people from wall to wall. Jerry's sister Ginny mentioned more than once that the Klein kids wanted out of the house as soon as they were old enough to be on their own. 
Since reading about my great-uncles and their struggles at home, I've speculated whether Linda wanted to escape too. Sometimes I imagine my grandparents out on a date in those early days, describing their siblings and the way they were at home, laughing at similar pet peeves and groaning when an anecdote hit close to home. Later, when they were separated from the madness back in Pennsylvania, I wonder if they'd hang up the phone after a conversation with their parents and look at one another knowingly, just glad to be together and safely tucked away in California. My dad was kind of strict. It was funny, my dad, if, if you argued with him, he would let you argue with him. And then he would look at you and say, I remember the words that clearly is like, I'm right, you're wrong, shut up. And if you said one more word, he just cracked you. you know. <laughs> my mom, well, she was different. Uh, how can I? I don't really have a whole lot of fond feelings towards my mom. You know, it, uh, she cheated on my dad, and that, that stuck with me pretty hard. You know. mm. My dad would go to work at night, and some guy would pick her up and you know, leave the kids alone. We were all alone. Uh, uh, yeah. She was different. You know. mm. Franklin, the cyber patriarch, fought in Germany during World War II. When he returned, he got a job at the Hershey Chocolate Factory. He often worked nights, but despite the tough attitude he had with his sons, he was soft as cotton candy where Linda was concerned. Lloyd describes to my dad, my uncle and I, what the reaction was when 16-year-old Linda discovered she was pregnant. Linda was ecstatic. Yeah. I mean, she, my sister was the natural mom. Well, she took care of me. That's mm -hmm. why I remember she was the natural mom. Mm -hmm. And she loved your grandfather. And I, th I think they both were really happy about the whole thing. You know, mm -hmm. like, she was only 16 at the time. Or she might even be 15. But at the time, that was okay. You know, at that, that era. Mm -hmm. That was not out of the ordinary, you know, mm -hmm. like 16 years old, you know, it is what it is. But they weren't unhappy about it. You know, I, I, I think they were really pleased. Okay. And do you remember your parents' reactions? My dad was a little bit disappointed. I do remember that. Uh, my mom, I don't remember at all. But Linda was my dad's little girl. And that's, you know, a little bit disappointed. But... After he met and got to know Jerry, he was happy. He was he was good with it. Mm -hmm. um, <coughs> I saw, I noticed in some of the pictures too that it looks like your mom seemed to really like Jerry. Like there's pictures of the two of them, just the two of them together. My mom stuff. loved Jerry. Yeah, she really yeah. liked him. Yeah, she was. I think she realized that Jerry was good for my sister. You know? mm -hmm. And my sister was good for Jerry. You know, they were good for each other. Mm -hmm. Do you have like a just a favorite memory of the two of you, you and Linda? Oh yeah, yeah. <clears throat> my parents never got involved with me in school, never. Parent-teacher meetings, they never went. My sister went. First grade, second grade, third grade. She made sure she went to them. Mm -hmm. And that was, that was what I remember about my sister. Mm -hmm. And if I got hurt, she's the one who took care of me. And she took me on dates. <laughs> <laughs> And one of the one of the stories I really remember about my sister is, <coughs> is down at Huffman Street. We were jumping boxcars. We were Lincoln Avenue to Fifth Avenue, riding back and forth. Now you gotta remember, my sister was the oldest. You know, she was the oldest one there, and my dad caught us doing it. My dad paddled us so bad, 
never laid a finger on my sister. Never, never. She was grounded for two weeks, and two hours later she was gone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And we never questioned our dad because if we did, he would have just whacked us more, you know. But uh, and when I got older, I asked my dad about that, and he said, "Yeah, I remember." He said, "You led her astray." Oh. <laughs> and she was eight years older than I was, you know, uh, but I led her astray. Mm. But yeah, I, I never saw my dad get angry at her. You know, that, that's the kind of stuff I remember with my sister. Mm. Okay. Linda left school after discovering she was pregnant, and her and Jerry wed on October 6, 1960. The ceremony was held at her parents' house in Lebanon, PA. She wore a light-colored birdcage veil and a puffy pale pink dress with a skirt that started at the waist landed at the calf and encompassed her legs like a bell stuffed with tulle. Linda got ready in a bathroom in the basement by the light of one dangling light bulb and the assistance of a small mirror. Her father walked her across the living room where Jerry waited in his dress uniform, fresh out of boot camp with a closely cropped haircut. When Jerry was told to kiss his new bride, he threw an arm around her and held her close. After the ceremony, they exited the house with wide smiles on their faces, their hands clasped together tightly. They climbed into a waiting car that someone had adorned with a handmade just married sign. Five and a half months later, little Jerry was born. Linda and the baby stayed in Pennsylvania with their parents until the beginning of 1962. The next three years saw two more children and a new beginning for the family in Avenal. But at 21 years old, Linda's life and the lives of her husband and baby daughter were ended abruptly by Thomas Kaler, a drunk driver who was speeding on the wrong side of the road. Kaler lived, and we'll get to his story in a later episode, but he shattered the oasis of peace that Jerry and Linda had created on the West Coast. The chaos had hunted them down. Linda was buried with her jewelry, but not her child. Teresa Robin can be found a few plots away from Jerry and Linda. According to reports, the two brothers she left behind were saved only because they were playing on the floor of the family station wagon. Upon their release from the hospital, the question everyone had on their mind was this, who would care for Jerry and Linda's sons? My mom always had pictures. And we would look at the pictures and she would tell us, you know, that was that was your Aunt Linda. And she told us, you know, that they had um, they had died in a car accident. But yeah, nobody really talked. That's the whole thing. Nobody really talked about it and didn't want to talk about it. And you dare bring it up. But as I grew up, you know, I learned a little bit more. I learned more from you, <laughs> you know, <laughs> than, you know, than what family told me but that was always wondering in my mind you know why in God's name did somebody else take these kids next time on here's what I've heard here's what I've heard is produced by Courtney Abood and Craig Brown musical direction was provided by Julia Cannon featuring Bobby Steinfeld on piano big thanks to our patrons to be a patron and gain access to exclusive content, including the full story of what happened to Sonny and Nancy, visit patreon.com slash here's what I've heard. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash here's what I've heard. 
Have comments or questions about Here's What I've Heard? Know someone related to this story? Contact us by emailing the team at here'swhativeheard.com.